um, continuing our study on the fascinating life of Joseph. And one of the things that makes Joseph so intriguing is that he is a type of Christ. He's an Old Testament type of Christ. He's kind of someone that foreshadowed the ministry of Jesus. And although not perfect, his life often reflected how Christ himself would live. And up to this point, we've learned that when Joseph was younger, he had some dreams that basically told him that one day he was going to rule over his family, that literally his brothers would kind of bow down before him. So being young and arrogant, he shared those dreams with his brothers, and those conversations did not go over too well. And Joseph eventually um, ended up in Egypt because his brothers sold him into slavery, hoping that they would never see him again. And last week, um, Dave Hine kind of talked about the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Potiphar was a high official to King Pharaoh, um, and Joseph was kind of put in charge of overseeing all of Potiphar's house, his palace, his belongings, and things like that. And one, one day when Potiphar was out of town, his wife started to put the moves on him, started to put some sexual advances his way, and Joseph resisted her scandalous attempts, and the dude still ended up in prison because he was falsely accused. And so this is where we pick up in the story this morning, but I want to point out something that's easy to to glance over unless we're looking for it, and Dave kind of hit on it a little bit last week, and it's the way Joseph responds to his suffering. It's the way he responds to the injustice against him. He was betrayed, sold into slavery, And ended up in prison. He was just trying to honor God and yet he kept getting screwed over by everyone around him. And in the midst of being faithful to God, his circumstances kept getting worse. But we see no indication of Joseph complaining or becoming bitter towards God. We just see him remaining faithful and obedient even though he kept suffering the injustice of others. So keep that in the back of your mind, because we're going to focus big time on that here later on in uh, in the message. So go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 40, verse 1. It should be page 38 if you're using a pew Bible. And it's important to know, kind of at this point in the story, what we're about to read, Joseph is still in prison. But because of his obedience, God continues to keep using him. So Genesis 40, verses 1 through 5, says, Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each had a meaning of its own. Now, we don't have time to go into the entire story or read the whole chapter, but basically what happens is that Joseph is sitting in prison with these two men, and he notices that they're in great distress. They had these crazy dreams, and no one's able to interpret them. So Joseph has this gift of interpreting dreams. So he approaches the men and tells them, hey, what's going on? Tell me your dreams. 
and I'll interpret them for you. And their dreams could not have been more contrary. For the chief baker, his dream indicated in specific detail how Pharaoh was going to kill him. And it worked out that way, exactly as Joseph has had interpreted. And for the chief cupbearer, his dream indicated that he was going to be released from prison soon, and he was going to be restored to his position as the cupbearer of the king of Egypt. A much better report. So knowing that this was a good report for the cupbearer, Joseph pulls him aside and says, Hey man, when you get out of here, please remember me. Please put in a good word for me to King Pharaoh on my behalf to help me get out of here because I've done nothing wrong. Help me get out of here. Please remember me. And so let's turn to verse 33. It should be on the next page. This is kind of what happens after the cupbearer was restored to his position and his life was good. Verse 23. It says, The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So Joseph was forgotten again. Even though he helped this guy get his job back, he still remained in prison. Kept doing all the right things, but his life became increasingly more difficult. In chapter 41, if you want to look at that, this is where things start to finally turn for Joseph. We can't get into all of it, but basically Pharaoh has two crazy dreams that are separate, and he's in great distress, the king of Egypt. And so he's telling his cupbearer and all his kind of officials that he's in great distress, and finally the cupbearer remembers Joseph. He says, hey, there's this guy. I remember him. He interpreted my dream, and my, it played out exactly as he had said. So he calls for um, Joseph to come up. And so here's kind of this account. Let's read that. It's uh, chapter 41, verses 9 through 16. It says, Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turn out exactly as he interpreted them for us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. Wah, wah. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So Joseph goes on, he interprets King Pharaoh's dreams. And what, they, what the dreams meant is that seven years of great abundance were coming to the land of Egypt. Things were going to be real good for seven years. But then after that, seven years of severe famine was going to follow. So Joseph looked at the king and he said, you need to appoint someone wise to be responsible for this. You need to appoint someone to store up and stock all the food during these abundant years and have someone distribute it properly to everyone during the severe time of famine. And so this will be the last thing we look at. Turn to the next page, verse 39, on page 40. This is Pharaoh's response to Joseph. He said, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, 
There is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Joseph goes from being an inmate in prison to becoming second in command over the entire land of Egypt. So this would be equivalent to waking up one morning, someone as an inmate in Leavenworth Penitentiary, or Folsom State Prison, whatever, and then by the evening of the same night, that person is now the vice president of the United States. Has that ever happened? It's not, that's so insane, right? Absolutely insane. So Joseph is given this opportunity to now lead the people of Egypt, second in command. But rather than discussing Joseph's rags-to-riches story, that probably a lot of people would, We're going to spend the rest of our time this morning examining his response to suffering. Suffering. That's a word that gets people excited, doesn't it? I know all of you woke up this morning and probably thought, man, I hope they talk about suffering. I love me some suffering, right? We, as a society, do not handle suffering very well. With today's medical advances... We can easily be cured from sicknesses and diseases that have killed most people throughout human history. And those frequent deaths uh, that people had to endure led to levels of suffering that we will never understand. We do everything in our power to avoid suffering, don't we? And even suffering in those around us. We don't really like it when people open up to us about their pain. We feel awkward, we're afraid we don't know what to say in response, or worse, we're afraid of what it will require of us if we come alongside them and help carry their burden. Most of us avoid examining our suffering and our own brokenness because it scares us. So we distract ourselves with work, right? Our careers, our jobs, our families, social media, sports, anything to distract us from dealing with the pain inside of our soul. And every single one of us is suffering. Every single one of us is carrying wounds from our past, whether we're aware of them or not, or whether we want to acknowledge them or not. Pastor Tim Keller wrote this about suffering. No amount of money, power, and planning can prevent bereavement, dire illness, relationship betrayal, financial disaster, or a host of other troubles from entering your life. Human life is fatally fragile and subject to forces beyond our power to manage. Life is tragic. So knowing that the reality for every one of us in this room is that life is tragic, how do we respond to it? How do we respond to our pain. And I believe many of the answers are actually given to us by looking at the life of Joseph. He was a victim of family betrayal. I know some of us here have experienced that. He was sold into slavery and ended up in prison for not sleeping with a beautiful woman that was throwing himself on her. Like, he did the right thing And he still ends up in prison. And he didn't just spend two or three nights in prison. He spent about three years in prison. Three years in prison for being obedient to God. Joseph was on the struggle bus. 
And I found a vehicle that Joseph traveled through kind of most of his life. <laughs> so this is the bus that he traveled through. His struggle was real, people. Very real. So Joseph is sitting in prison. And it's important to notice that at no point in the story is God whispering in his ear. God is not saying, hey buddy, just a little bit longer and I'm going to get you out of here. Just bear with me, just two or three more weeks and you're going to get out of this dump. There is no time frame, no timeline for Joseph. From his perspective, this was his reality and it was quite possible the rest of his life could have been spent in this dungeon of a prison. And yet he remained obedient. We see no finger pointing, no complaining, no bitterness towards God. But what we do see is that for Joseph, the way through the suffering was offering his gift. And this is huge and worth writing down if you're a note taker. The way through the suffering was to offer his gift. His gift from God was his ability to interpret dreams. That is a very unique gift that most people don't have. But from a young age, he was given this gift and he used it to help others. Even while sitting in prison, he approached the cupbearer and the baker and he said, How can I help you? I have this gift. Let me offer it to you. Even though his circumstances did not improve, he kept offering his gift. He kept giving it away. He kept giving his life away. He had nothing, not one thing to offer anyone while sitting in prison except for his gift. And he freely gave it away. I love to get some feedback from you guys. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes, right? You've done nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. You've just been obedient to God, and you're sitting in prison on year three. Okay? Now, knowing who you are and how you're wired, what would you be thinking if you were Joseph? How would you respond to your circumstances? Let's hear from some of you. What's that? Angry, Angry? yeah. What's that? Confused, yeah, yeah, confused. What else? Yes, Renee. Very depressed, yeah. Like would have been bored. Bored, probably, yeah. Anything else? Yes. What's that? You would complain a lot to any person you had the opportunity. To complaints, yes, exactly. That's good. Yes, Dave. Ooh, plotting revenge. You're taking it a step further. Stay away from him. That's our worship pastor. <laughs> wow. Don't get on his bad side. What else? Yes. What's that? <laughs> yeah, the work could always just say, doesn't get any better than this, right? Sarcasm, right? Good. Anything else? What's that? Appeal your case, yeah. It would be, uh, it'd be very tough, extremely hard, extremely hard. And I want you guys to know, I just want to be honest today. Um, this is definitely one of those sermons, kind of what we're about to get into. I do not feel qualified to be up here to teach on this at all. Sometimes I wonder how in the world I'm even doing this job as a pastor. I do not feel qualified to be up here. Um, As I've shared in past sermons, 
I'm more naturally wired to be a pessimist. And kind of what I mean by that is when it comes to suffering, when life gets extremely difficult for me, my mind often plays out every possible worst-case scenario. Anyone else like that? About 10, about 10, 15 people? Okay. <laughs> yeah, i got some liars here at Wellspring. <laughs> a bunch of liars, for sure. Um, and I just want to be honest, right now, I am living in a tough season of my life. Um, my wife and I just celebrated the birth of our little baby girl, McKenna, and that has been wonderful and fantastic. Thank you. To see her grow, to watch her poop all over her room, to, to, have, to see her smile just melt our hearts, that has been awesome. But I have some relationships in my life right now that are broken. And some of them seem messed up beyond repair. And I've kind of given up, to be honest with you, on some of these relationships. And I have let these struggles fill me with so much despair and worry, keeping me up all night, fretting about what I'm going to do or say when I have to encounter these people. The past couple months have felt like death to me. The weight of these broken relationships has almost tipped me over the edge. I have been filled with anger. I've lashed out with my words, and I have felt the ugly claws of bitterness grab a hold of my heart while seeking to destroy my life. And I can tell you one thing. My attitude during this time has not been like Joseph's. I've complained about my circumstances. I've pointed my finger at every other person telling them that they're wrong. I've been completely closed to the idea that maybe during this time God had something he wants to show me about my character. My response, the attitude, the posture of my heart has not been, God, teach me. Teach me something in this mess. The attitude of my heart has been, I'm the one in the right. You guys are all crazy. I'm the pastor. I'm the one doing the right things. There's nothing for me to learn. And when you can reach a point where you honestly believe there's nothing for you to be challenged in, there's no area of your heart that needs to be stretched, you are nothing but a blind, disillusioned, arrogant man. And I have been all of those things lately. I certainly haven't followed Joseph's example of giving my life away during this time, giving my gifts away. Rather than asking God how I could use my gift of encouragement or leadership to help others, I've been spending my time replaying conversations and things people have done to me that have wronged me, filling me up with more anger and more bitterness. And what's so ridiculous is that many times I can look back on my life where I was the one that initiated the pain in someone else, where I was the obvious wrongdoer by my words and actions that hurt people. Who am I to think that I am some saint that has nothing to learn or to be challenged in? And for those of you wired like myself, the weight of suffering can feel like death. I get it. The pain and heartache that we have can be unbearable at times. And sometimes you wonder, what is the point of getting up in the morning? Why follow God? When your life is marked by so much heartache and suffering. But here's the thing. Suffering can't be avoided. 
It must be embraced. In her book, The Broken Way, Ann Voskamp wrote this. This is the deal we all get, guaranteed suffering. We all get it. It is coming unstoppable like time. Be broken and given in a thousand common and uncommon ways. Live given a thousand times a day. Die a thousand little deaths. This feels like a dare that is choosing me. I don't know if I know how to do this. I don't know if I want to do this. This is how you live with your one broken heart. You give it away. Think about the life of Jesus. He was perfect in every single way, and yet his circumstances continually to got worse. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends, his disciples, right? One of his other best friends, Peter, denied even knowing him, denied even being a friend with him. He was falsely accused, mocked, and beaten. And how did he respond? He gave his life away. He gave his heart away to serve others. He gave up his time to teach his disciples about the kingdom of God. He kept healing other people when he could have been relaxing. He took the time to weep with others who were suffering. And he eventually gave his entire heart away by laying down his life and being crucified. And even while he was sitting up there on that cross, looking at the people, mocking him from below, he gave his life away and told his father, forgive them. Forgive them. Christ bids us come and die. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 9, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And it's only when we die, when we die to our self-centeredness, that we can start to experience life as God intends for it to be lived. We can't avoid suffering. We must embrace it. And even more than embrace it, this is huge. We must realize that suffering only feels overwhelming to the extent in which we've believed the lie that life can be some other way. Life is tragic. There's no way around it. Peace, comfort, safety, security, you're not going to have those things in this life. You might get glimpses of it here and there, but our lives will be marked by trials and pain, because we live in a broken, fallen, sinful world. And every single one of us sitting in these pews today has contributed to the hurt and the heartache in our world. But, and this is a big but, but we can be confident that we serve a God that knows our suffering does not define us. What you're going through right now may feel like death. What you're about to go through may feel like death. But it is not the end-all, be-all of your life. Because our God is a God of comfort and hope and joy. Let's look at what Scripture has to say about what God does in us through our suffering. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. 
Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And these verses just scratch the surface on what suffering does for us and how it refines us into the likeness of Christ. Suffering produces perseverance and character and hope. Suffering humbles us, and that's a good thing. It doesn't feel like a good thing, but that's a good thing. Suffering brings us to a place of complete dependence on God where we realize that we can't fix it anymore with our own wise brains or talents or skills. And this may sound crazy, but we can and we should thank God for our suffering. Now that's contrary to the American dream. We should thank God for our suffering. Imagine if we began each day thanking God and embracing our struggles rather than trying to ignore them. We could walk through, we would walk through each day knowing that whatever's going to hit us, right, whatever bomb is about to be thrown our way in a relationship or in our marriage, that God is going to use it to make us mature and complete. That he's going to use it to refine our character. He's going to reuse it. He's going to use it to help us grow. And we have to remember, most importantly, that our God always leads us in triumphal procession. He always goes before us victorious, and we also are victorious through him. So where do you find yourself this morning as we close? How are you responding to your suffering right now? Are you complaining? Are you pointing fingers at everyone else? Unwilling to look at your own heart, see what God might want to teach you through this? Are you filled with bitterness? Or are you giving your life away? Are you giving your gifts away? Are you giving your heart away to serve others right now, even in the midst of your own pain? And as we come to the, com- um, sorry, come to the communion table today, we can be confident that our Savior understands our brokenness. Because he has experienced all the pain that we have. And whether you feel rejected right now or abandoned, God is whispering in your ear, Come close, my beloved. Come close, my beloved. Give me your life and I will give you mine. He has given his all. Will you do the same? Will you give your all to him for everything that he's done for you? I'm going to pray for us, then the ushers will come dismiss you each by row. You can just come forward and just take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. Let's pray together. God, you are so good. Please forgive us for believing the lie that our lives can be marked by comfort and safety and security in this sinful world. God, rather than running from our pain, God, help us to embrace it and to use it as a learning opportunity, God, for our character and our hearts to be refined, to become more like you. God, forgive me lately for not asking how how I can be stretched during this time of my life, for being so arrogant, 
to not want to learn anything, God. I know there's a lot of hurting people in this room right now. I pray that they would honestly examine their hearts and their response to what they're going through during this time.